0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening,
1: and welcome to another edition of the Prologue on America's Web Radio, a weekly program bringing you introductions to writers and books you may not be familiar with. My name is Doug Dahlgren. I'm going to be your host for this hour. I'm an author myself. I have eight fiction novels that are available. They're action thrillers. Some you just might enjoy. Hopefully, all of them. They're available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, all the online sites, and of course you can visit my personal website, which is www.dugdahlgren.com. Now we call this program The Prologue, because that's what it is. It's an introduction. And while those that are introduced are mainly writers, we also love to bring you interesting people with just a good story to tell from other fields and other endeavors as well. Now... If you don't have a pen or a pencil that's handy, I want you to go get one and also pick up something to write on while you're at it, okay? Uh, Throughout this program, we're going to offer you information that you just might want to make note of, like this, for instance. If you or that someone you know has a book or maybe that interesting story that needs to be told, you can reach out to me through email, and there's two ways to do that. There's Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDahlgren.com. I'd really like to hear from you uh, about yourself or your friend that needs to be on the radio. And, of course, we also want to hear from you folks that are just listeners. Let us know what you think of the show. If you enjoy the guest, if you enjoy the way we're doing this, if you got any suggestions or comments, use that same email and let us know about it. Now, today we bring you an author and, and a very special one at that. Valerie Joan Connors is here. She's in studio, and I'm very happy to have her here on the program. She has four novels in print, and she's here to tell us about all of them, and particularly her latest, which is titled, A Better Truth. Welcome, Valerie. How are you doing this morning? I'm
2: fine, thanks, Doug. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Well, we're tickled to have you. You're one busy lady. I'm proud you've Mm -hmm. taken an hour out of your schedule to be here with us today. Thank you very much. Now, I know that the audience today is going to be uh, sky high because simply you draw a crowd wherever you go to speak. So we're looking forward to great numbers today. But before we really get started with your interview, there's a couple of special groups that I have to recognize, and I hope you don't mind my doing that. First of all, our folks serving in the armed forces of this country. They're stationed all around the world, working hard to keep us safe every day. A lot of times we take that for granted. We just uh, get up and we go about our business, and it's just like every other day. But there are people out there working hard to keep it for us, so we want to remember them. Freedom is not free. It's bought and paid for daily by those men and women in uniform. We thank them for what they do, and we also thank them for listening to the prologue. The other group uh, is closer to home. It's those brave men and women who are in the first responders units, the police, the fire, the EMTs, all the way down to those who answer the switchboard at 911, people that come to our aid when we need their help. We don't want to forget them. We want to remember what they do and thank them for being there. Now, Valerie Joan Connors, that's a name that uh, resonates through a lot of the groups and meetings that I've been to in the last number of months. Everybody knows Valerie. She has four books out. Your first was originally self-published and then later polished up and professionally published under the title of A Promise Made. Now, I understand that's kind of a historical recollection. Uh, What was the original title when you self-published it?
2: The original title was Give Me Liberty, because, of course, give me liberty or give me death. Give me death. (laughs) It was a a story about uh, domestic abuse.
1: Now, that inspiration was based on your mother's experiences, right? Yes, that's okay. correct. Okay, that's right. Tell us how you came about this. I mean, how did this? How did this book develop?
2: Yes, I love this story about this this first book. Um, my mother was a poet, and she did some writing, and she wrote a lot of journals and that sort of thing, and uh, she wrote a lot of the time when she was upset about things. She used it as a way of working through um, thoughts that she was having trouble with. And uh, when she died in 2001, she had all of her papers and letters and poetry and all that sent to me. And I promptly put it in the closet and shut the door and didn't take it out again for nine years because I couldn't bear the thought of looking at it yet. It was just too soon. It's a
1: natural reaction. Yeah.
2: So when I finally took it out, um, I was looking through everything and I came across some letters that she had written to her mother um, during the time when she was in New York City when she had left her abusive husband with her uh, along with took her three year old son with her and moved away to New York to start over so as I was reading those letters I just decided that that was a story that needed to be told and um, I also was able to rewrite history for her a little bit.
1: Yeah, New York didn't sound like a right place to go to try to start over i mean that's pretty rough town wasn't
0: it
2: yeah it was um all her life she told me stories um, she was actually only there for five months or so in reality but she told me some really funny stories about jobs that she had and a lot of that stuff is is true and is actually in the book
1: what was it that made you uh, pull these letters out i mean you said you just happened to get them out and go through them wasn't there a particular event something going on your husband out of town? Oh old? yeah, <laughs> okay.
2: yeah, yeah. My husband was out of town, um, and I had the house to myself for the whole weekend. And I thought, if I needed to um, sit on the floor and, and cry for a couple of hours, that would be fine too. Um, so I took that opportunity and went through everything and shredded a lot of it, and
1: and it became a book.
2: It became a book twice. Actually. Now you
1: now you <laughs> self published it the first time. What was I your self publishing experience?
2: Well, I had no idea what I was doing, so I wrote this manuscript. I didn't let anybody read it. I went through it a couple of times and was fairly sure it was perfect, as you know. Oh, of course, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I found a place on, um, the internet called lulu.com, which was a <laughs> very, uh, easy way to process it. I was fairly technically savvy, so I, I did the, you know, the documents myself and uploaded them. And there it was. And then I sat and waited for the millions of dollars to come pouring in from sales.
1: Check, make sure your address was right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: yeah. I checked on Amazon every five or six minutes to make sure yes. that I yes. was still out
1: there. <laughs> well, I'm sure it was good. Um, but it sitting there waiting, you didn't just sit there and wait. You started writing on another
2: book. I did.
1: Um, that's a completely different story I mean you Mm -hmm. change genres that's something that usually when somebody gets started they they kind of hone in on that Mm -hmm. or they try to work in that area what made you go to this your second book was about a tiger Mm -hmm. in North Georgia Mm -hmm. now that's kind of interesting in itself but what what brought you to that story
2: well I had an experience um I guess it was it was my birthday weekend one year I don't recall the year exactly but um we went to a small town up in North Carolina um, looking to get away from the city for a couple of days. And it was kind of rainy, and we were trying to figure out something to do, and there was a tiger sanctuary up there. And so we went to visit it, and I got to spend some time with a tiger cub in a cage, feeding it a bottle. And it was a, a really wonderful experience, but it just showed me how much I didn't really know about... That because as I did more research, I discovered that some of those kind of situations where the public gets to interact with tiger cubs and lion cubs is there's a whole ugly backstory to that yes. to what happens to them when they grow up. So um, that's actually going to be in the next book that I'm working on now. Is sort of the other side of that and why that's not a good thing and how I wish I could un do the fact that I participated in it, but I didn't know better. Well, you probably weren't the
1: problem either. There are other people that would have been the problem, Mm -hmm. but uh, I want to go back to the process a little bit now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Give Me Liberty was self-published, but I'm sure you went through the submissions and queries and all of that and and probably got the rejections before you went ahead and put it out yourself. Your second book was picked up fairly quickly. It was. Uh, Tell us about that.
2: Yeah. Um, I sent out probably 14 queries before um, I got a response from a publisher called Bell Bridge that's up in Tennessee, and um, I was very surprised. In fact, I was sitting at work checking my email, my personal email, which um, probably wasn't the best thing, but at any rate, I opened up this email at the same time as my boss walked into the doorway, and... My jaw dropped, and he said, what's the matter? (laughs) And I said, I just think I just got a book deal. And so he was pleased. He was always very supportive. That's a good
1: shot in the arm, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Immediately you call Amazon and say, what's the matter with you guys? What's the matter with you guys? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I saw who the email was from, and I thought, oh, here's my 14th rejection. But it wasn't. Excellent. Yeah. Very good. I was happy.
1: Uh, Now, you bring out, uh, that one was titled... In her, in her Keeping. Key. Yes, very good. And again, animal lovers, you will love the story mm-hmm. because it—it it, uh, it's just, we don't want to give it away. We want you to buy the book. But it's a wonderful story, again, based on a tiger cub mm-hmm. in the North Georgia mountains. So we want to look that up. Uh, along this same period of time, you happened to come upon another publisher, a gentleman that you know very well at this point, mm-hmm. and he seemed to like your work. He did. How did you meet him?
2: I met... Uh, Bob Babcock of Deeds Publishing I, I met him at an Atlanta Writers Club meeting and I knew that he had actually published my good friend George Weinstein's books and he got a copy of In Her Keeping and he, he read it and he sent me an email and said that um, he really, really enjoyed it liked my writing style and if I wrote another book he wanted to see it
1: Excellent. so I did You mentioned George Weinstein. That's Mm -hmm. another name. That seems to pop up everywhere, you Mm -hmm. know. He's just omnipotent. He's all over the place.
2: He's all over the place. We're often all over the place at the same places at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: interesting (laughs) how he does that. Uh, So you finish up this third book and tell us a little bit about where does the idea come from for this mystery, Shadow of a Smile? Where did that come from?
2: I'm not sure where that one came from. That was sort of a... A collage of ideas that that I had thoughts about places that I enjoyed. It's set partially in Southern California. I have lots of fond memories of the time I spent down there. Um, the Midwest, where I'm from originally, um, and I just thought, what if everything that you thought was true about your life turned out to not be true, and kind of. Let it unroll from there.
1: Now, I assume that Mr. Babcock decided he wanted to publish this right away.
2: Yes, he did. Okay. He did.
1: Compare that experience to the other publisher with book two. How did they contrast and, and, and how were they alike?
2: How were they alike? They were alike, that they were both very kind and supportive and taught me a lot about the way the business works. Um,
1: Your input was it welcome or?
2: It was. It was. Um, there was a little difference in the way the um, things like the the title and the book cover, mm-hmm. um, with inner keeping. That was something that was really decided at the publisher's level, and for marketing reasons they. Felt like they knew best about those sorts of things, and they were good about sharing that with me and letting me give my <laughs> give my input. But you know, the, they made those decisions, and so uh, with deeds, it's it was a little different experience for for that part of it. I said, "This is the working title that I've been using. Um, you'll probably want to change it." And Bob said, "No, I like that title. Okay." <laughs> So he asked for some ideas about what I thought should be on the cover, and I said, "A nice Southern California beach sunset and a lady on a stage in a red sequin gown with a microphone singing." And I'm I'm going off in all these directions, and he said, "Time out. Let's like give me one one picture." So I found him one, and he went out the next day, found the uh, photographer. Bought the picture and put it
1: on. Outstanding. (laughs) Very good. Folks, we're here this morning with Valerie Joan Connors. You're listening to the prologue, and we're going to be back with more from Valerie after these messages.
3: When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Obamacare
4: is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today.
0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: And we're back. You're listening to the Prologue on America's Web Radio. Our guest today is Valerie Joan Connors, and Valerie's here primarily with her newest book, A Better Truth, but she also has three others that are out there in print, and we've been talking to her about those and how they came to be. Uh, I think it's probably uh, the right time to say, Valerie, tell the folks, where can they find out more on their own? Where can they go to find out more about you and your work?
2: Great. Uh, my website is www.valeriejoanconnors.com, and there you will find the first chapter of each of my books that you can take a look at. There are links to where they can be purchased at Amazon, uh, online book sellers everywhere, and through Deeds Publishing um, directly.
1: Excellent. Now, your your second book, again, just to recap real quick, "In Her Keeping" was published by who?
2: Bellbridge Bridge Books. Bell Bridge Books. Mm-hmm.
1: And then during that process, uh, you actually met the folks with Deeds Publishing, who are now out of Athens, Georgia, a gentleman named Bob Babcock. And he liked your work, and he decided that he wanted to see your next manuscript, which turned out to be Shadow of a Smile. Mm-hmm. And uh, that went over quite well. You were happy with the way that process worked?
2: Yes, that was a, a great experience. Like I was saying before the break... Um, The cover, the the son, Mark Babcock, does the cover designs, and he's won awards for them before, and he just does a great job. He has a way of pulling out what you're thinking without very much input from me, so... So that's wonderful. Excellent, and that
1: wasn't just said. This is it. This is what we're doing. You were included in that decision. Oh yeah, yeah. Is this
2: what you had in mind? Yes, absolutely. It's wonderful.
1: That sounds great. I like when I get exactly what I want. Yes, we all do. (laughs) Now, uh, Deeds released that book for you, but during that same period of time, you got to talking with Bob about your first book. You weren't really satisfied with the way things were going with it. Yes. uh, So what happened there? How did that happen?
2: Yeah, I talked to Bob a couple of times about that first book because it wasn't leaving me alone. It was still in the back of my mind. I felt like it really hadn't a cha- had a chance, and it was a story that really needed to be told. So I mentioned it to Bob a couple of times, and I was working on doing some edits to it. And after we did Shadow of a Smile together, I asked him pointedly if he would like to... Uh, take a look at that book. And he did, and he liked it, and so we did that together.
1: Proceeded with that. Now, you changed the title.
2: I did. It's now called A Promise Made.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, there are rules in uh, doing that sort of thing. Was that the issue, or did you just want to change the title, just to have a clean break?
2: Yeah. If you go to Amazon and you Google Give Me Liberty, you get 653 books, and they're all history books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And uh, so I decided to try something a little bit different. And so we did some brainstorming on that and ended up with a promise made.
1: Yeah, that's the thing people may not be aware of, but titles are not copyrighted. Mm -hmm. You can title anything any way you want to Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, call to arms or what have you. Gone with the wind. Gone with the wind. Uh, (laughs) But you just decided to change it. It wasn't any structural changes or major changes in the book that required it. Yeah because, of course, you had your ISBN number, which is the identifier for that. Mm-hmm. So you, you come out with a new one and the title of A Promise Made. A promise and made. then, folks, if you're looking Valerie books Valerie's books up, and I hope you are, you'll see that the uh, publication date on A Promise Made is 2015, and though it is really her first novel. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the idea why that is in there is as that mm-hmm. that brings us to what we're here about we're here for a better truth that's now out that is your newest and you really can't make up your mind what you want to be when you grow up because now <laughs> you have written a thriller uh-huh tell us about that tell us a little bit about
2: it well first of all um i was i was late getting started with writing i was in my 50s before i started and so i'm kind of like a kid in a candy store now i'm just trying every genre just hopping around, historical fiction, women's fiction, and now a thriller. And the thriller was so much fun to, to write. I had such a good time with it because you can get kind of twisted with people, and they can do unusual things. And you or don't you, have can, to make make things. you things. can make them do unusual things. You can make them do unusual things. Yeah, so... Willow is the name of the uh, main character in this book. And Willow's got something in her past that's really bugging her. And it's keeping her from having a a very um, comfortable life. She's very busy. And she finds herself um, in a a lifestyle with her uh, lawyer husband in Washington, D.C. And she's just too busy. But all of us are busy. We're all busy. But um, she handles her busyness in a, in a different way that's not so good. She has uh, hallucinations and things like that.
1: Takes it way too seriously.
2: Yes, yes. And so she finally has to get away from it all to uh, try to find some peace, which she finds for a short time. But then her past catches up with her. She has to face her demons.
1: So this thriller is more of a on a mental, psychological level, more than yes. physical.
2: Yes, it's a psychological thriller. There
1: you go. Yeah. No blood and gore or anything like that. Oh,
2: there's that. I didn't say that. <laughs> Maybe.
1: <laughs> Maybe a little. Maybe a little bit. Of course, you know that's psychological stuff can lead to that. That's in right. A heartbeat. Yeah. That's right. Now I've read uh, that your heroine, the protagonist of A Better Truth. Actually, came to you as a fully developed character. Now that's a little bit unusual. Uh, explain for us how and where Willow uh, becomes this absolutely real being that jumps from the pages that you write. How okay. did she, How did she come to you?
2: I discovered Willow at Van Michael's Hair Salon. Um, she happened to be cutting my hair, oh, and okay. I said, "Willow, what a what a wonderful name! I love that name." And then I thought, Willow. And I had, I had the first line of the story already before I, I knew who Willow was going to be. Um, and the, And the two things just went together. I originally was opening the book with her listening to Pink Floyd in the bathtub in her cabin alone at night when she hears a knock on the door. And once I had the name, willow and i had the vision of willow um she just kind of came together
1: okay well now willow the individual the hairdresser that was just the name
2: that's right? just a name this person
1: yeah. didn't act quirky yeah. or what she was no okay
2: <laughs> no that's kind willow I'm, if you're listening <laughs> that's kind of what i'm asking
1: about is uh-huh. uh, where did where did this personality come from is that part of well, you well
2: most most of my female protagonists are you know me to a greater or lesser degree um Pink Floyd in the bathtub, that was sort of a memory from my way past. But then once I started writing the book, I discovered that the timing was all wrong for Pink Floyd because this character yeah, is a little bit yeah, younger than me. A little,
1: me, little so. too pointed in yeah. time there. Yeah. Um, characters are so very important in carrying the story forward for all of us. You've got several in this book that just do that for you. Besides Willow, how did you develop these other characters?
2: Well, Walter Willow's um, once and future ex-husband—he um <clears throat> had to be somebody that everybody could hate, and so—that's fun to write those people. <laughs> it is fun yeah. to write those people. Yes, it is. It is fun. And my husband asks me, "Why, honey, do you make all the husbands so bad?" <laughs> and I don't say, "Well." It's because it's all about you. No, I I say I say everywhere I go to talk to people about my books that my husband is a very nice man.
1: I think it was Craig Johnson that said uh that the biggest lie we all tell is up there in the in the legalese of our of our books, up in the forward, where all characters uh, have no resemblance to anyone living or dead. Yep, purely Heck, fiction. they do. Uh, <laughs> they we just aren't going to tell you who they are. You know, <laughs> right? It's it's really something.
2: And some of you, you know who
1: you are. <laughs> oh yeah, the daughter. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about the daughter or do you not want to give that away
2: I'm not sure so sure I want to talk about her yet okay All yeah, right. well you will have
1: to buy the book yeah and again you can do that through valerie mm-hmm. or on Amazon either mm-hmm. one but it's it's a neat it's a neat story Now you have written about oh what two times I guess about the North Georgia mountains mm-hmm. uh, is your research of that area is that firsthand or how do you research the mountains?
2: Um, I've been up there a couple of times. There's some places up there that I really, really like. And um, this book is about someone who has such a busy life, as she all she can dream of is moving to the mountains and having a quiet life. And maybe that's something that might be personal for me, <laughs> wanting to get away from the busyness of my life. So, I dream of moving to the mountains to a a quiet life
1: uh, that 's a reality for a mm-hmm. lot of writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you know jameson greg uh, mm-hmm. emery jones there's a lot of folks from down around that live up there mm-hmm. and my question to them is, how do you get anything done? you know
2: because it 's so beautiful? Oh yeah, yeah,
1: I would just sit and stare. Yeah. Uh, you kind of hinted around at it. Is there any more about a better truth, the elevator pitch that you'd like to share with us? Uh, entice our listeners to going out right now and buying this book.
2: Okay, so Willow St. Clair can't always tell the difference between reality and hallucination. And she has to find for herself a better truth because the real truth is just too scary. There
1: there are some real serious details about medical conditions Mm -hmm. and, you know, Problems that you described so well in this book. How in the world did you research those?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, with with most of my my research, I you know I, I spend a lot of time on the internet looking things up. But um, I have a friend named Connie McKee, who is uh, also an author, and she wrote a book called The Girl in the Mirror, and she won a Georgia author Georgia Author of the Year Award for it this year. Very good. Um, and she's a retired psychiatrist, and so I ran some things. By her once they were in the almost finished state to make sure that I wasn't lying to anybody.
1: (laughs) Okay. Now, better truth, uh, the character herself, Willow, um, do we have anything in the future that's planned for her? Is there anything in the pipeline that will involve her?
2: It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. I, I purposely left the ending open, and I think I irritated a couple of readers because people like things all tied up at the end but I think there's more that's going to come out of
1: this group of characters. Yes, yeah. you have to do that. Um, What are you working on now?
2: I'm working on another um, big cat story. This one's going to be about lions. Oh, okay.
1: Well, we're going to have to hear more about that. We're going to take another break. You're listening to the prologue on America's Web Radio. We have in studio Valerie Joan Connors with us. And we're going to be back with more from her
3: With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com.
0: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
4: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: And we're back. We're listening today to Valerie Joan Connors. She's here in studio. She's telling us about her writing, her books, and we were asking her at the break, and I probably got in here too quick with that question. I want to go back to it. Exactly what are you working on now?
2: I'm having so much fun again with this book, but um, In Her Keeping was about uh, Tiger Sanctuary, and a woman sort of puts her life back together together. after a a difficult divorce and that sort of thing. And uh, those two characters are going to continue into this next book, Um, the main character and and the man who owns the sanctuary. Um, And this one is going to be set in Africa, and it's going to be about lions, poachers, and um, the canned hunting, trophy hunting, business that's sort of been in the news lately and is sort of a hot button issue with some people.
1: Now, are you going to get Mr. Babcock to spring for a trip to Africa for some research?
2: Maybe so. That would Maybe be good. Maybe
1: so. yeah, That sounds good. <laughs> uh I want I want to kind of change gears a little bit here. Some people think these are silly questions, uh boilerplate type stuff, but you know, we have besides the readers who who listen to us we have other writers mm-hmm. and there are a lot of writers who uh, don't get, quite get off the dime but i want to we want to try to to help them with questions that they have because we never know who's out there mm-hmm. uh the process that we all go through uh, that we use and i'm if you'll allow me i'm including myself mm-hmm, in that right. but it's very personal and everybody looks at it and does it differently and yet there are things that everybody out there can learn if they're hearing from. What are the main elements in your writing process? Can you do that?
2: I can, sure. Um, First of all, I have to say that the the most important thing in my writing process is that back in 2010, I joined the Atlanta Writers Club. And I did that right after I self-published the first book and realized I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I've listened to lots of other writers um, and authors and people in the business talk about how they do their work, and and I've learned an awful lot from them. But in my life, I have a full-time job as the CFO of an engineering firm in Midtown, and I don't get to write every day. People will all tell you, if you're a writer, you have to write every day, and I wish I could write every day, but I can't. Um, So I'm sort of a binge writer. I may not write for two months anything substantial and then I'll take a vacation day or have a weekend where I don't have to be doing a book promotion or something else and I'll work for 12 hours a day for as many days as I have and then I might not get back to it for a while so because there's such a long break in between I always go back to page one and start there and I edit what I've already written and I go a little bit farther and then you know as I get down to the end I need bigger blocks of time to get to a little bit farther
1: you get to a point though where you have to leave it alone because every time you reread it you re-edit it again yes and uh, that's a hard thing to deal with it is but mainly you want to get it down Mm -hmm. what are your feelings about outlines some people are very strict on that and others are loose with it like myself Mm -hmm. uh should a strict outline be designed ahead of the writing
2: i don't think always i don't think always i think that takes some of the fun out of it um I I generally start with a really rough outline, Mm -hmm. and then I start writing, and I don't follow the outline. So my outlines usually get sort of (laughs) backfilled, so I know where I've been, so I can find scenes when I need to go back to them.
1: So Um, you you let your characters kind of uh, take you places you hadn't thought about.
2: I do. I do. Um, With with the thriller, um, because it's so important to keep people wondering... I didn't really decide on what the ending was going to be until I got there. So I figure if I don't know what's coming, that maybe it'll remain a mystery for the readers as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. As far as outlines go, mm-hmm. I, I know where I'm starting and I know where I want to yes. end. Right. But the middle, it, you know, a lot of things can happen in there. Yeah. Um, this, this is going to sound like an odd question. I've asked it to several writers before, but I want to see how you react. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of insider stuff. Have you ever written a line or a sequence of events in your book that at the time you wrote it made no sense to you? You sit back and you go, now, why did I include that in here? And then something makes you leave it alone. And later on, maybe chapters down the road, something ties into that. Have you ever Mm. had that
2: experience? That's an interesting question. Um, I don't Think so exactly. I'm trying to think of an example of when that's happened, but
1: now you're making me look foolish. Yeah. Huh? No, I have that happen a lot. Yeah. Um, it, it's, an, it's an interesting phenomenon, though. You will go now. Why did I include this? Mm-hmm. And then later on, something a character will do something or something that will tie into that. Yeah. And you go, wow, that was. That that's was why
2: cool. I put it in
1: there. Yeah. So okay, yeah. well we'll scratch that. We'll <laughs> cut that from the thing. <laughs> but it, I look at writing as kind of a Presbyterian experience. We all know where we're going, but we may not all participate the way we think we are. <laughs> you know, uh, kind of that caserasa or or stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Now, you started writing as a novelist, at any rate, about mm-hmm. seven eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Is yes. that right? Mm-hmm. Now, that's not a very long time. You no. hit the ground running, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I mean that in a good way. Um, what What is your background? What did you study in school that gave you this head start
2: when <laughs> you decided
1: to be a novelist?
2: That's an interesting question, because nothing that I studied in school prepared me for being a writer except, you know, the experiences of living. But, no, I, I have a degree in finance, and I've worked in accounting and software, accounting software, forever and ever. But my mother was an artist, and my dad is a musician. So I think that the fact that I was, that I've worked in the fields that I've worked in for so long is more quirky than the fact that I'm now writing. Writing feels normal
1: to me. Communications. Yeah. Now, with your financial uh, career, you still have to communicate what those numbers mean.
2: I do, and that's actually one of the things I enjoy most um, at work is when I present a set of financial statements and I get to do a, a management's discussion of what those numbers mean. and It's uh
1: that's telling the story. That that that's expressing. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's really to me, and others might disagree with it, but that's the main thing that we're trying to do. We have something in our head we want to share with people, uh, and and telling that story is an important thing. So mm-hmm. I think the background is perfect because uh, yeah. we all have to justify our existence, explain to people why we did this, mm-hmm. and and that really is what we're trying to do when we're writing a book. Yeah. So all right, now storytelling. Have yep. you ever considered yourself a storyteller? Um, With numbers, yes. you want to be clear. <laughs>
2: you know. Yes, during during the day, I have to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's fun to make stuff up.
1: Now, when you were going through your mother's papers back yeah. in the early days, um, was that really what kickstarted you and said, "Oh, I need to write this story"?
2: Yeah, that Talk. was that was the catalyst. That was. Um, it? I always knew I wanted to to write a book and i always knew that someday i would dream of a an author's lifestyle which as you and i both know is spent on the yacht half the time and in italy in a villa the other half of the time writing and drinking coffee
1: (laughs) it's true it's it's hard to keep up with all the places i've been and and think like who are we kidding (laughs) uh I have an office, and I'm sure you do too, and <laughs> I that's do. pretty much it. Yep. But people think that, uh, you know, we do a lot of this research. And like I said, you'll need to talk to Bob. I think a trip to Africa is probably exactly what you need to do.
2: I'm sure. I'm sure he'll he's, be fine with that. He's
1: going to love me for saying that, but that's, that's the way it works. <laughs> um, you said earlier you from the Midwest. You kind of stepped on this question ahead of time, but you are the epitome of the Southern lady.
2: Oh, thank but you.
1: What is your background? Where were you born and what are your experiences through life?
2: I was born in upper Michigan in a little youper. I'm a Uper. Yes, I was uh, born. My family lived in Kearney at the time, but I had to go my mother had to go to Menominee to give birth to me because there wasn't a hospital in Kearney. It was that small. Uh, when I was 9 years old, we moved to Oregon and I spent my formative years there and When I became an adult, I bounced up and down the West Coast a few times and then uh, moved to Georgia in 1996.
1: Being from Upper Peninsula, you know what a pasty is.
2: I do. Pasties are delicious.
1: It's not something at some adult nightclub either. No, it is
2: not. They actually (laughs)
1: have bakery shops that are. That's the headliner, pasties up there. Mm -hmm. We'll have to get together some weekend with our families and we'll make pasties. Yeah. Where was college for you?
2: I went to college all over the place. Uh, I went to the University of Oregon to do the bulk of it, and then I moved to Southern California, and I took some classes at San Diego State. Um, I actually took a class or two at Georgia State, but my degree is from Portland State University in in, uh, Portland, Oregon.
1: Did you write at all other than term papers uh, in school? Did you write for the school paper or anything like that?
2: No, no. In in the early days when I was trying to decide what I was going to study, you know, back when I was at the University of Oregon, I took some writing classes. And it was not unlike the experience I have now where, you know, some people love every word I write and then other people not so much. It's just it's so subjective. You know, I find that with instructors, though, too. Yeah.
1: How about in your family? Uh, what size family, and were there any other writers in that
2: mm. group? Um, it's my brother and I, mom and dad. That's it. No other. Uh, mother was was a poet, and she did uh, some short stories. But so it's in journalism. the genes. It's it coming is. through. That's it good. is. That's it good. is. My dad taught English for a while.
1: Ah, yeah. okay. See, that had to rub off, too. It did. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Now you have. I really ought to hold this one because uh, I'm going to ask you to go into some detail about it. And we're coming up near a break. Um, what else about your background do you think that once you got going with the writing, you really, from 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 what you produced, once you got into it, it seemed right.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: It, the different genres are not that unusual either. I mean, a lot of the folks I've met. Uh, What was it about the writing that really clicked with you? What did you enjoy the most?
4: Hmm.
2: I I guess it was just uh, the exercise of the right side of my brain that I wasn't getting to use very often. You know, I did a lot of music when I was a kid. And then once I became a teenager and learned about boys, the music music kind of went out the window. Okay,
1: so Mm -hmm. what did you play?
2: I played the piano and the violin and the viola and the flute and the guitar Uh,
1: once again she just can't decide what she wants to do i want to do everything
2: (laughs) (laughs) very good
1: david are we close listen we're here this morning with valerie joan connors we're here on the prologue america's web radio and we're going to be back with more after these messages
3: on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio.
4: Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today.
0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: And we are back. My name's Doug Dahlgren. I'm glad you're with us today. We're here in studio with Valerie Joan Connors. We're on the prologue on America's Web Radio. We are talking about Valerie's books and we've been talking about her process and the way she goes about writing and her background. What made her the author that she is? Uh, Valerie, people always talk about a voice. And you have a very strong boi- voice in both your dialogue and the narrative that you write. It just Thank really you. is is good, and it's enjoyable reading. Listeners, if you haven't read one of Valerie's novels, I encourage you to do that. Okay, I want you to go out there, and you can just pick your own genre, whatever you like, because <laughs> Valerie, just, for
4: everybody. yeah, she just
1: about <laughs> does them all. I, I think sci-fi is coming up somewhere yeah, down sure. the road. Seriously, no, it's good stuff all the way. Um, talk about your voice mm-hmm. is that something you're aware of or is it just happen
2: it's something that I became aware of after the first couple of books um the first manuscript which became the third published book A Promise Made uh because that was based on my mother's life um and and based on writings of hers that that I found and of course she's my mother um that was her voice it was almost completely her voice um And then when I started in her keeping, that was me. Um, It was about a woman who wanted children and couldn't have them. And so I use my books as a way to, you know, work through issues (laughs) as a, as sort of a side advantage of writing them. But that book was, that voice was me, and um, by the time I got to Shadow of a Smile, I realized that it's something that that beginning authors usually do, usually do, and I thought I wanted to try to break away from that. So in Shadow of a Smile, that was where we diverged from me to purely fictional voice oh. I tried specifically to, to do. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then each character has their own voice, or do you? I think so. Okay, okay.
2: I'd have to ask somebody who's read all of them and... Super well, I'm sure we'll hear yeah. from
1: some. I'm, I know yes. you've got a wide audience out there, and <laughs> we hope to hear, uh, again, folks, if you want to make comments on the show, uh, or if you know somebody that wants to be on the show, want you to contact us at Doug at com, or you can go directly to me at Doug at com. And seriously, we want to hear from you and let you know. Valerie, want to tell the folks again, where can they find out more about you and... Mm-hmm. Valerie Joan Connors Books.
2: Sure. My website is ValerieJoanConnors.com, and there you'll find all of my books. The first chapter of each book is there. Um, some reviews, links to reviews. Um, also, the links to where you can find the books on Amazon. They're in print and Kindle, and um, any anywhere else online where you can get books. Outstanding. You can find them. Also, you can write to me at author at
1: very good. What all is on the website?
2: On my website? On your website. On my website, we've got um, the books, the four books. Um, there's also a page where my uh, events go so we can see where I'm going to be making appearances. I also have a page for the book widows.
1: We're going to get into that. Yeah. We're going to get okay. into that in just a second. Yeah. Um, in fact, if you're if you're through there, sure. the website is worth a trip. So, folks, get Thank in there you. and uh, ValerieJoanConnors dot Go in there and look around. You'll enjoy it. Uh, change in direction again on you. This mm-hmm. this is we got such a short amount of time here. You joined. Uh, you mentioned it. You joined the Atlanta Writers Club in the fall of 2010. Now that was just shortly after uh, you really began your career as a writer. The amazing thing is that the following January, Mm -hmm. you are on the executive board as the VP of operations. Mm -hmm. Now, talk about jumping in with both feet. The club had to have just seen your potential right away. mm -hmm. Is that what happened?
2: Well, here's the thing it's just my nature. So I thought, why be, excuse me, why be part of something when I can, you know, run it?
1: Because. There you go. I'm well, God. you did just that because <laughs> what did. was it? About two years later, mm-hmm. you get elected as the president, mm-hmm. and you serve for a two-year term there. Tell us a little bit more. Here's a sales pitch on the Atlanta Writers Club. Why? Mm-hmm. Why should writers be interested in that?
2: Oh my gosh! If you live in the Atlanta area, um, and even if you don't, um, the Atlanta Writers Club changed my life in so many ways. Um, <laughs> We have monthly meetings, third Saturday of the month, at Georgia Perimeter College, which is now Georgia State University, Dunwoody Campus, at 1.30. And you can find out more about the Atlanta Writers Club at org. We have a, a program every month where we have two presenters, authors, people in the business. Um, George Weinstein runs two conferences a year. Who? My friend, author George Weinstein, who just has a new book out, by the way, called Aftermath. Oh. Got to look for that.
1: Okay. How do you spell that? Aftermath?
2: Aftermath. One word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's got a pretty pretty cover with uh, black and red.
1: (laughs) We're having fun with that today. Mm -hmm. George understands, though, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the positions that you have held... what is it you're currently doing? You're back at VP of Operations again no, or Programming?
2: No, VP of Programming right now. Okay. Um, for a while, I was the treasurer and the president and the programs. Well, now president. that makes yeah. sense. Sure. Uh, well, it made it easier because I didn't have to make all those contacts with other people. I could just discuss it amongst myself there and you go. make my decisions. But No, I love um, this role as Programs VP because I get to meet a lot of local authors and sign them up to do the programs and... And it's fun. And it's something that I can do when I have time to do it and get it all done for a while and then put it aside. Are these
1: programs all members or are they outsiders sometimes?
2: They're, they're um, outside. We have a a spot at the beginning of a meeting that lasts about 15 minutes called the Member Minute where one of our members will present something. But um, the rest of the time, it's people in the business. They're,
1: Excellent. Yeah. Very good. Now. You mentioned this already, but there's another offshoot of that organization uh, that just kind of happened. You were at a meeting uh, with a bunch of other fellow female writers, Mm -hmm. and uh, through that, uh, this little subculture was born. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about the Book Widows.
2: Sure. Um, We were actually at a, a deeds function. At, uh, Jeremy Logan's house, uh, another deeds author. And at the end of the night, four of us were leaving and we ended up standing in the kitchen by the back door at the same time and they said, Val, where's your husband? And I said, Oh, he's at home. You know, I let him off the hook this time. We do so many of these events. And I said, where's your husband? Well, he he's at home. I let him off the hook. So all four of us were in the same situation without our husbands. And Rona Simmons, who um, is a, a brilliant marketer as well as a wonderful author, um, with a new book called The Martyr's Brother that's just out this week, um, she said, it's like we're book widows. And I said, well, it's not really. It's like our husbands are book, <laughs> book widows if you think about it. The widowers. But she said, no – No, let me think about this. So she did, and and she put some things together, and she made some um, inquiries, sent some emails out. And before we knew it, we were being asked to speak at all of these places, at the Georgia Writers Museum and at some libraries and uh, book clubs and... We talk about the difference between the way men and women read.
1: That's what I wanted to ask yeah. you. That's an earth-shaking development, there, mm-hmm. folks. Men and women are different. <laughs> uh, how different? What do you mean by that? That that they read differently.
2: They read, they read different um, genres. Men tend to read um, nonfiction, biography, sports, politics, uh, that sort of thing. Women tend to read fiction, but. Because I always have to be different than everybody else in the rules, I know a lot of men who read fiction because many of my friends are writers. And so, if you're writing fiction, you have to be reading fiction.
1: So very good. Now, you on your own, as well as with the uh, the Book Widows group, Mm -hmm. you guys are available for speaking engagements. Is that right?
2: Anytime, anywhere.
1: How does somebody? How does an organization get in touch with you to arrange that?
2: You could email me at author at com.
1: And are there specific topics that you guys or yourself have set up already, things that uh, somebody might be interested in having you come and share?
4: Um,
2: I like to talk about the writing community because I think that's very important. Um, the Book Widows will talk about the, the Venus and Mars business and... I'll talk about anything. I'll talk about my books. I'll make stuff up. I don't care.
1: That's right. That's yeah. very good. Yeah, I can talk about anything, and I can go longer if I'd ever heard of it before. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a plus a minus. <laughs> Listen, Valerie, this has been a pleasure. Is there anything you can think of that we have not covered that you'd like to get out this morning?
2: Hmm. Off the top of my head, no. I think we've been around this morning. We've covered a lot of ground.
1: Well, good, yeah, good. It is. It's just been fun. I want to thank you again for being here, oh, uh, thank and for you. trusting us enough to come in and talk about your new book. And we just hope that everybody listening is going to go out and order a copy right away. Yes, I hope so too. That'll be good. <laughs> uh, tell them one more time where they can do that.
2: Uh, ValerieJoanConnors dot You'll find all my books, links to where you can buy them, first chapter of each one if you want to test them out first. Um, email me, author at com if you want me to come and or talk Amazon, to Or Amazon, all the local. Amazon, All, yep, all those good places. Yep, okay, yep.
1: very good. Have you got any uh, guerrilla marketing coming up? Going to be sh- anywhere in the near future?
2: The next event that's coming up, well, I'm going to be at Emory on Tuesday, um, talking to a group there. And then uh, November 12th, is the Milton Literary Festival, which is going to be lots of fun.
1: That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Listeners, I want you to tell all your friends about the show. Tell them about Valerie. And tell them how they can listen to the free podcast by simply clicking on the links at americaswebradio.com. Now, if you again or a friend of yours would like to be a guest on a future program, I want you to email me at doug at com or doug at dougdahlgren.com. Tell me about you or your friend, and we'll get you on. Uh, the Clock on the Wall says that's about it for this hour. I want to, again, thank my special guest, Valerie Joan Connors. We hope that you'll come back again real soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been great. Now, for myself, I am Doug Dahlgren, and for my guest, I want to say be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book. If it's not one of Valerie's, maybe you'll choose one of mine. And I'll see you all again in just 167 hours.